to another episode of Public Problems. Today, again, I'm with some Bush School students uh, who are working on their master's in public service and administration, and they've spent some time in one of my courses doing some research on a pressing public problem that they identified and have spent the first half of the semester uh, working towards. Before we dive into their project, I'm going to let each of the five students introduce themselves. Uh, my name is Cassie Jones. My name is Harrison Gregg. My name is Emma Alexander. I'm Zach Weimer. I'm Nick Partipillo. Excellent. So first, let me thank each of you for the work you've done. I've had a chance to look a little bit over your report, and I know you've been working hard on this project, so thanks so much for the research you've done. So your report is titled Distracted Driving, Arizona's Legislation and Challenges. And so you've focused specifically on the state of Arizona, which I want to talk a little bit about as we move forward. But I want to start with distracted driving particularly? I mean, is this the main problem you focused on? And if so, tell us a little bit about what you mean by distracted driving. Distracted driving actually encompasses a large number of different topics, really anything that's going on in the car that prevents you from focusing on driving. However, in our paper, we identified one particular kind of distracted driving, specifically the use of a cell phone while driving. Um, texting and driving laws have been a big deal recently in a, in a growing number of states, and so we focused on one state in particular that has continually attempted and repeatedly failed to actually pass meaningful legislation that regulates the use of cell phones while driving. So you focus specifically on cell phone. What are some, just out of curiosity, what are some other things that generally fall under distracted driving, like messing with the radio, talking to a companion? What are the other things that fit in there? Aside from cell phone use, the other, like, main cause of distracted driving are usually passengers in the passenger side seat or behind you. Um, again, you said messing with radio. It's anything that'll be in the car that will, that will make it difficult for you to, oh, Siri. to <laughs> focus on, on the road ahead of you. So it can be, so passengers, anything else that can be distracting. Yes. And what's the, are, or did in the report, did you cover kind of the, estimated impact or harm done by distracted driving? Is there good evidence on, does it increase um, crash rates? Does it increase uh, the number of, the amount of harm done while people are driving? Or is there, or is there good statistics on that? Well, one of the interesting things about it is um, not specifically statistics, but in terms of like how it impairs you. There's re research that's been done in terms of like it affects all three major areas, which are cognitive function, visual ability, and also, I can't remember what the third one was. Um, so you're physically distracted, you're visually distracted, and you're cognitively distracted. And that's uh, data from the CDC that's uh, identified those, and they're kind of the three ways that you can be distracted. And texting and driving is particularly dangerous because it does all three. One, it engages at least one of your hands off of the wheel. Two, if you're doing it with any sort of um, you know, ability to actually type, you're looking at the phone. And three, you're actually thinking about what you're reading, what you're responding to, you're going over the conversation in your head. And all this takes away your, your, your focus from the road, even if it's only for a few seconds at a time. Um, if you're going anywhere above 30 miles an hour, that can actually be really dangerous. Most texting and driving um, seems to happen between 30 and 50 miles per hour. But at the upper end of that, you can go the length of a football field in a matter of seconds. I know one of the things I've seen on this is that it's as or more dangerous than even drinking and driving in the way that it just, you know, drinking impairs your abilities, but you often still may be focused on the road, whereas the cell phone use is worse because you're 
your complete attention isn't even on the road. And so in that way, it's as, at least as big of a public safety issue as drunk driving. Not only is it as big a public issue in terms of how the individual is distracted, but it's also far, far more common than drunk driving. Uh, we've had estimates that we've gone over that say anywhere between 80% of drivers will be texting or using their phones while they're driving at some point, and the numbers line up to about 40% of drivers at any given time are, are checking their phones within, within a given hour. So I guess that means that the at least uh, in the U.S., cell phone adoption must be pretty widespread at this point. Then I, mean, I know we talked about it a little bit as you were moving forward with the project, but what what is the number on that? Does anyone recall? Um, I remember it being like some silly high percentage of people have cell phones. Oh, wait till you hear the statistic. <laughs> so I'm talking a lot at the beginning of this just because we're touching on the subjects that I'm most familiar with. Our number is actually sitting right around 95% adoption. Um, that's that's from the, the data from February 2nd, 2018, by the Pew Research Institute. They check this. They've been tracking it since 2011. And it's been steadily going up. It's grown by 35% adoption since they started tracking this at the very beginning. And one of the crazy things about this is that it's not just the new generation that's adopting it. It's everyone. It's across the board. The lowest adoption rates currently among retirees, people 65 years old and older. But even that number is 85%. People under 30 that were surveyed, 100% of them had cell phones. In the so, next age group, 98 and 94, respectively. So in the room, we have with us about 20 people. Raise your hand if you don't have a cell phone. So let the record show it's unanimous in the room of 20. <laughs> and will anyone uh, fess up to texting while driving in the past year? I would say that's what, 80% of the class? So just as a small informal poll here, it seems to hold true that essentially everyone has a cell phone and the vast majority, 80% of us will at least admit publicly in the room that we've done this at some point. Um, okay, so I'm convinced that it's uh, it's a problem. Okay, why are you focusing on Arizona? You mentioned a little bit there at the beginning, they have tried to pass some things and have failed. So what's the purpose for focusing on Arizona? So Arizona is um, in the top 15 most populous states in America. And so it's also one of only three states that don't have a complete statewide ban. It is Arizona, Missouri, and Montana. And so we saw that in of those three, we saw that Arizona was the most populous. So we said, okay, we'll focus on that and kind of see from there why we're at this point. Um, Texas was actually the 40, 47th, I believe, the 47th state to recently pass uh, legislation on the matter. And that went into effect this year. I believe. 2017. 2017. 2017, Okay. Yeah. Um, what was your other question? <laughs> Sorry. No, just why, why did you focus on Arizona? Oh, yeah. So it was that, and it was um, the populace of it. And also, it was kind of interesting. When we were doing the research, we found that it's not that Arizona hadn't been trying. It's that they had just been unsuccessful. Um, Arizona, they had been attempting to pass texting and driving legislation in Arizona for, since about 2007 but to no avail, and they recently did pass Senate Bill 1261, which is their first step in the ban, but all that that bill does is advance texting and driving if you're under 18 years old and you still have a learner's permit or you've been driving for less than six months, which is very specific. And yes, texting and driving is a problem with teens, but through the research we actually learned it's more prevalent in young adults in their 20s. And this targets teen drivers, which is a good thing as they're trying to learn, but it really doesn't do much to solve the problem. And with that, 
the legislators in Arizona um, do not want to push anything else forward. The uh, author of the bill publicly stated that she will not author any more legislation on the matter. Um, I think that was in an attempt to gain support for her bill because there had been so much trouble in the past 11 years trying to get it done, but the like the stagnancy of it is kind of scary, especially if they were able to get it done here in Texas. We're kind of we're always been kind of confused as why not so in Arizona had been such a difficulty for them. Do you, in your research, did you identify are there stakeholders here that are really against it? I mean, it's not clear to me. What organized groups uh, would be against uh, banning cell phone use? So, okay. <laughs> you're all, you're like, uh, yeah, there are clearly people. <laughs> um, I was going to say, I don't like, I, I guess we can just call them out conservatives. Uh-huh. Um, so the Senate, the state Senate president, Andy Briggs, he was like the major opponent in like passing it because they did not want a law that was essentially going to. They just didn't want more laws. Literally, they called like, it a nanny state. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's like a freedom thing, right? Yeah. yeah. They, they didn't want that such, such a level of what they called intrusion into <laughs> private life and choices. Got it. So it's sort of like with, well, when I was growing up in Georgia, the big thing was seatbelt laws. And I remember some of the older generation, like to this day, refuses to wear a seatbelt out of spite, like, because I don't have to and you can't make me. Which I can remember having those thoughts at like 16 and 17. <laughs> um, so the real pushback here is from the conservatives in Arizona. And it's really uh, along the mindset. It's not about like the evidence for the effectiveness. It's not about any of that. It's mostly just an ideological, like the state shouldn't be telling us what to do in our vehicles kind of thing. Yes. Right. And the as you, you mentioned like the seatbelt uh, laws, but... The funny thing about that is all the research we saw about showed incredible effectiveness of once people, there was a law that said you had to wear a seatbelt. We started wearing seatbelts and driving out a little safer. Once the law said you can't drink and drive, people stopped drinking and driving as much, <laughs> and that started helping as well. And the data that's been collected from texting and driving laws all show the same thing. And so the reason we compared it to Texas was, well, what's more conservative than Texas? And so the, um, the lawmakers in Arizona that have been trying to pass the bill actually modeled Senate Bill 1261, again, the very, the very basic ban on teen driving off of House Bill 62 in Texas, which was the one that banned texting and driving here. So they were hoping that, you know, well, if they can get it done in Texas, maybe if we do like a little softer version of that, we can at least get our like foot in the door here and start the process. And they have, but again, they've started the process, but it's already looking like it's going to be difficult to continue it. So just, I guess, pushback against the whole idea of regulating cell phone use. But we did do it in Texas, which I would agree is a, a traditionally, particularly the legislature, is pretty conservative at this point. So maybe if Texas can get it done, then it's something that Arizona might can do as and well. that's not just a leap of logic that we came to in our analysis. That's actually explicitly stated by the author of the bill that they said, if they can do this in Texas, surely we can do it here. Part of the problem we run into, though, is that Texas started with that and then has passed subsequent legislation. They started with a ban just on teen drivers as well. But in this last year, they actually proposed and passed new legislation that bans it across the state. We haven't seen returns from that yet. They just haven't done any of the census or the, the recordings for this year that mm-hmm. give us the data. Um, but they are predicting a significant lowering. We've seen that in other states across the nation. But Arizona, because they stated that this was not intended to begin a, a statewide ban in order to try and get conservatives on board, they ended up losing support from Democrats who wanted it to be more progressive, more regulatory in this issue. And so for a very long time, they didn't have the support of either the conservatives 
or the Democrats because one side felt they were going too far, the other side felt they weren't going far enough, and so you ended up with 11 years of deadlock. Sounds kind of like some of the things at the national level. Okay, so I think we've, or you all have done a nice job of laying out the, the problem with destructive driving, how cell phone use is at the core of it, and how in Arizona there's been sort of, there's been uh, ideological resistance to passing uh, bills on this issue. So what do you think we should do? I know in your report you have a number of potential uh, solutions for Arizona in particular, I believe. Um, so you talked a little bit about a statewide ban, but we haven't really talked about any of the details of that. So maybe you could tell me a little bit about what you propose, the, the type of ban that Arizona should have, and then um, talk about a little bit, a few more of these solutions you have here. Well, so the statewide ban, I mean, the House Bill 62 in Texas, we would hope that they would do something similar if they were to able to get past a statewide ban. In the, the major, three major cities in Arizona, I believe it is, uh, Tucson, Tempe, and Phoenix. They already have city um, ordinances in place as you can't text and drive. And so, you know, those are the three of the top five most populous cities in the state that have already put a ban in place because they understand the dangers of texting and driving and how big a problem it is today when 95% of people in the country have cell phones. So, um, so expanding what's already kind of at the city level to the statewide level. Yes, um, that would be the goal. And after you know, after doing all the research, there are other solutions, as we said. But we do firmly believe that just, I mean, just implementing a statewide ban would be the easiest thing to do, or not the easiest, excuse me, the most effective thing to do. It's clearly not the easiest thing to do, as they've been trying <laughs> to do it for the past eleven years to very minimal success. But. Um, and data shows, you know, laws may require you to wear seatbelts or make it driving safer, making it illegal to drive, drive drunk, and data from other states that have shown the same thing for texting and driving. So it's all there. It's just convincing them to look at the data. Yeah. We would also suggest um, if you look at the history of distracted driving laws and specifically cell phone use, um, New York was the first state to ban this back in 2011. A few years later, uh, Washington banned specifically texting and driving. But in both those cases, I think 15 other states have adopted New York-style legislation. Numerous other states have specifically targeted texting like Washington did. And now we see Arizona beginning to copy the actions of another state that more closely fits their demographic. It's always been a very iterative process. One state looks at what the others have done and says, well, we can tweak that a little bit or simply adopts it wholesale, nearly carbon copy. So really, that's what we would recommend. Arizona's late enough in the game here that they can learn from the mistakes of 47 other states to create legislation that avoids some of the pitfalls and addresses the issue more fully. Excellent. What other strategies have you discussed with respect to distracted driving? So another thing that we talked about was having some kind of phone app implementation. Originally, we were going to look at um, nonprofits helping the issue, but there wasn't really a lot of success with that. Um, but we did find that phone apps such as um, AT&T's Drive Mode and also the Do Not Disturb While Driving setting on iPhones actually works significantly well. Um, um, phone use actually decreased by 8% using features that don't allow you to drive while the car is moving. There's other apps um, that reward you for not getting on your phone while driving. They you accumulate points and you can use those um, at restaurants or other things like that. So there's actually great success with these kind of things, but it's ultimately all up to 
the driver to say, okay, I'm actually going to do this. I'm going to put my phone down, not going to look at it. Because yes, it's a feature, but it's also up to the driver to not override the feature, if that makes sense. Yeah, the, uh, I noticed when AT&T on the iPhone swapped to the default being that uh, you don't receive messages, you have do not disturb on while you're driving. And for me, anyways, as someone who's been guilty of this, it sort of changed the game for me because there was anything I had to do. I had to actually physically go in and tell it I wasn't driving to be able to receive text messages or phone calls. And so then once I got used to it, then I kind of look forward to being in the car so that no one can bother <laughs> <Same> me. <laughs> and then it just sends people straight to voicemail and it waits until I arrive to get to the text. So, which we know this from psychology and cognitive bias literature as well, that when you change the default, it, it imposes a cost on people and they have to go out of their way to do the thing we don't want them to do, um, or they would prefer that they didn't do. And so I, I like that strategy. It's interesting that it did, there is some evidence that it works. Um, you also talk a little bit about a federal ban. Yes. So it's actually kind of interesting because um, this is definitely a nationwide issue. There's about 72,000 accidents every year across the nation that involve um, texting while driving. What's interesting, though, um, is that also there's research data from the um, NHTSA, which does surveys every few years about driving-related stuff. The last one they did was in 2015. And in that survey, what was interesting is they found about uh, respondents who, uh, to the question of whether or not they would support a nationwide ban on texting while driving, that number stood at 95%. So 95% nationwide of the sample that they had said that they would totally support a ban. The problem is not with uh, the citizens of the United States, it's actually more in our federal government. So what's actually interesting is we talked a little bit about at the state level, there's the issue where there's a divide between Republicans and Democrats in the state of Arizona in terms of even banning or passing a statewide ban. At the federal level, there's actually, it's actually a pretty um, bipartisan consensus on how to handle the issue. It's basically a state's rights issue. And this is from both sides. Um, during the Obama administration, they had the chance to actually do a ban, but instead they just went with a uh, federal ban on empl federal employees during work hours. Basically, if they were doing anything work-related, they couldn't text while drive. And that's as far as they went. And then afterwards, he basically said that we're going to leave this to the states. So it's a weird divide where you have a citizenry that's willing to go with it, but a federal government that doesn't want to do it, do it simply because of what they feel they're constitutionally allowed to do. That's an interesting one. It reminds me of uh, the tax the federal government uh, used to raise the uh, alcohol drinking age. Sure. So this is one that was is considered even still, I think, a state's rights issue, but the way the federal government kind of came in to change it was, look, we're just going to withhold your, your highway funding if you don't solve this. Sure. And so it's interesting that kind of a strategy that they could take if they wanted to. They actually currently are. Yep. There are grants uh, that are specifically tied. We don't actually mention this in the report um, because it wasn't part of a federal ban, but there are grants that are tied to the stringency of state legislation um, that you have to ban not just teens and it has to cover all drivers and it has to be across the entire state, not just in regions. Um, but there is a grant system that's only available to states that have adopted those sorts of laws. It's good. I mean, it's good that they're using some kind of tools like that to in, to encourage the adoption. I mean, not to encourage the adoption, but once it's adopted, to improve the implementation. Um, other things about some of the solutions that you have here that you think would be interesting for uh, for the listeners? Yeah. 
So um, another solution we had was basically to create higher consequences for distracted drivers. Um, this kind of gets into like another issue of people working together. You would need the Arizona State Legislator or Legislature, um, the Arizona Department of Public Safety, and the Arizona Department of Transportation all working together to create like a consequence. And what we mean by consequence is essentially implementing a fine for those who are caught texting and driving. So, um, for example, in the state of Alaska, you can actually have a year in prison and a fine up to five hundred or. $50,000 um, if you get caught texting and driving. But in Arizona, mm -hmm. nothing. Like, no, there's Alaska not even a fine. is a significant outlier. Yes. In most <laughs> states that have a fine, it's around $100. Yeah. Much yeah. less significant. But, like, basically what that example shows is that, like, some states take it a lot more seriously than others. Um, like, you know, in Alaska, they have snow. Arizona probably doesn't get that as much, you know. So that that could be a little bit different. But essentially, like, we just said that if you created a consequence or a fine for texting and driving, then it actually might be, like, more of, like, an incentive, incentive not to do it because no one likes to pay fines, essentially. Um, and on top of that, um, you could even take, like, the money you are getting from those and trying to implement things like um, an app or things like that. And, like, there's another one that we'll go into, and I'm sure Zach will talk about it, um, that, it, like, fines like that could go towards um, just being really productive in terms of uh, finding out if people are actually texting and driving. Hand-in-hand hand with consequences and with a ban in general, there comes the question of enforcement, though. It's very difficult to tell from outside a car if someone is actually texting especially if the car is traveling around 45 miles an hour. You just don't get that good look at it. But at the moment, we do have technologies like breathalyzer. We have precedent set that says if someone is driving in a manner that is violating traffic laws, that is obviously dangerous, that you can check and see if they are competent to be driving in this state. Texting and driving, it's mostly a voluntary issue. You can't just take someone's phone, go through the records, and see what they were doing at any given time because we have significant and strong privacy laws. However, there have been technological attempts to try and address this issue. One that's actually being, uh, they're attempting to get to the point where they can try it in New York right now. It's called the Textalizer. Basically, it's an anonymized device that plugs in and checks not for what you were texting or watching, but it actually looks for interaction with the phone. It sees if it was tapped, swiped, zoomed in, any other sort of uh, intentional interaction with the phone, and it gives it a timestamp. So it attempts to preserve those privacy concerns, which it's currently being uh, attacked by the ACLU and several other groups for violating those and for apparently circumventing warrants. Um, and the, the bill that would permit its use in New York is still trapped in committee and has been for the last year. It's still listed as active. And so there's, there's hope that we'll get to try this out in the near future. Um, but part of the problem with this is that enforcement is difficult because it's very difficult to prove. Um, in many cases, it is tied to there being another offense first before you can actually be pulled over and ticketed for it. And although we have 95% approval for a federal ban, and AAA in their surveys indicate that it's actually the top concern of drivers, 88% of drivers are worried about other people texting while driving. It's more than drunk driving or just about any other concern. Um, there's very little social stigma attached to this. Some of my favorite things we read over in this were some articles produced by Harvard and they talked about the fact that unlike just about all the other dangerous behaviors on the road, from jaywalking to drunk driving, there is a social stigma attached to it, that you don't do that. It's, it's not part of being a good citizen. And for some reason, perhaps because it's so prevalent and everyone seems to do this on some level, it's difficult 
to convince people that they are actually guilty of something by doing this. They don't have an internal compass that is telling them this is a bad idea. Yeah, I mean, you hit on a couple things there that I think are worth uh, worth discussing for a minute. And the first is um, this notion of privacy and how we balance you know, people's privacy for their own personal lives and as an extension, their personal property like a, like a cell phone. Um, and to what degree are we are comfortable or not comfortable with law enforcement having access to to your cell phone as part of a collection of evidence for this? So we, we make some uh, sessions of privacy for our vehicle, right, when you're pulled over. And if the uh, law enforcement agent thinks that you were driving in a way that was erratic or that warrants a search of the car, the car can be searched. And so it'll be really interesting to see where we draw this line of, you know, people are dying because other people are texting and driving um, and our own personal rights of privacy to our devices. And we're kind of for the collective public where we come down on that. I think it'll be a really, um, a really interesting thing to watch play out. The, the other thing that you mentioned is the stigma piece, which I think is, is interesting. I would have, I, I mean, my anecdotic, anecdotically, it seems like there is some shift in this when you have conversations uh, like socially or seeming to kind of start talking about how you don't need to be doing it. Not in the same way that we approach like drunk driving, for example, but I've noticed at least people I'm around, there's at least some change in that perception a little bit to where it's not completely socially acceptable to be, uh, to be driving and texting. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see how those things Play out and the enforcement, the broader enforcement piece will be really interesting too. As you know, to the point we were making earlier, you know, when the drunk driving was made illegal and enforcement was ramped up for that, people drank less in large part because of the social stigma. Um, and so, maybe as these laws have been passed in the majority of the country, with the exception of Arizona and, and Montana and Missouri, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, maybe as the norms change, that makes enforcement easier in some ways because less people are doing it. Um, uh, and maybe that even opens up questions about privacy. I mean, if people are really concerned about this issue, maybe the political pressures come down on the side of sacrificing some personal privacy for your device in kind of a narrow way to help stop this. Um, cause it does seem like a pretty serious problem and a danger to all of us on the roads. All right, I have a question from left field before we close out because these are my own interests. And so I'm curious what you think. One of the things that is going on uh, technologically in the world is that we are automating, we're learning how to automate vehicles and turn them over into uh, autonomous vehicles. So what role do you think that plays in how we think about constructing these laws, right? Um, because we need to think about, do um, we don't have distracted drivers, but how do these laws stay in effect or how do they influence once people aren't actually driving? In most cases, they actually simply become irrelevant. If you look at the text of most of these laws, they don't specifically say driving, they say operating a motor vehicle. It's still completely legal for passengers, for other people riding in the car, even in some states, if you're not currently driving, if you're stopped at a stoplight, if you're parked in, in a parking lot with the car running, so long as you're not actively engaged in controlling that two-ton death metal machine, <laughs> you know, you're actually fine. So as soon as you take the driver out of the control portion, I'd expect that most of these laws would just become irrelevant. Yeah, makes sense that that's how they would have them structured. I wasn't sure, but uh, 
it seems like it would make sense to have it focused on specifically operating the vehicle. Which I thought was really interesting when we were doing research that, you know, if you're pulled up to a stoplight, it's perfectly legal to start texting on your phone mm -hmm. as long as you're not actually moving in the vehicle while you're driving. Only listen. in Texas, though. Since we're in Texas, Texas yeah. we'll warn you, you can be ticketed for texting at a stoplight here. Most states, that's not the case. Yeah. But like, if your car is running and you're stopped, you can get in trouble in Texas for it. There are a lot of states that have done, um, like, com like complete bans, like no hands, like hands free. Like Georgia is the most recent one that I know of, um, where you can't even have it sit. Like your body cannot physically be touching your phone, or they can pull you over um, and give you a ticket for it. So it's interesting the variance on some of that um, for sure. Um, okay, anything else that you'd like to leave the listeners with? I mean, we covered the history of this, the role cell phones play. Um, the fact that most states have already done something about this and then offered some potential solutions for Arizona to kind of step up and address this, even if they have concerns about a specific statewide ban. Um, anything else that you, that you learned in this process that you thought was interesting that would be uh, fun to share? Just something that I wanted to add is that Arizona is targeting specifically teenagers with their bill that they have in place. But when looking at the numbers from the Arizona Department of Transportation, um, the majority of drivers is in the age range 25 to 54, and that's 37, about 37% of all drivers in Arizona. And they are the ones responsible for the most crashes. So this could be due to, they, are, they have the highest numbers in the population, so there's more crashes from the age group. But also they're targeting, their bill is targeting the age group that is not responsible for these high number of crashes. There's a misconception that teenagers are the ones always in their phones, but as our data from Pew Research and, and other anecdotal sources have told us, it's an issue for everyone mm -hmm. across the board. And socially, you kind of see that playing out. And you just look around in a restaurant or uh, when you're out in a park. I mean, you can see everyone of all ages is just doing, you know, staring at their phone all the time. Well, and I think like too, like when we when it came down to like talking about distracted driving, like four out of the five of us know someone who's been like affected by just like distracted driving or texting and driving or things along that nature. So I think like when it came to actually picking the issue and then going back to like social stigma and things like that, like I guess it's not you know it's not cool to text and drive. Like in reality, mm -hmm. it's not. This is very good. Uh, thanks for your work. Um, looking forward to uh, sharing this conversation. And I think it's, you know, you really found something that affects people's lives in a way that we're not talking about it that way all the time, right? And this, I think Arizona is a nice case where things haven't been done that could save lives. And it's the arguments break, uh, break along kind of traditional partisan lines for partisan line reasons. Um, but this is some of the solutions you have here could, you know, actually work to save thousands of lives. So thanks for the work you do. Thank you. Thank you.